0: The Brutally Speaking Podcast is proudly sponsored by Starving Artist Brewing. Starving Artist Brewing may be a small speck on Michigan's beer map, but they say big things come in small packages. A brewery who really puts their money where their mouth is, supporting underground artists far and wide. Making delicious beers with the simple belief that you should judge beer, not people. Brutally Speaking Podcast is proudly sponsored by Rockabilia.com. With over 500,000 officially licensed items in their online store, you're guaranteed to find something you need. Use our code BRUTALLY and get 10% off your total purchase order. Now on to the show. What's up, everybody? Welcome back to another episode of the Brutally Speaking Podcast. I am your host, John, and this episode's guest is Jake Smelly, drummer for Gideon and a few other bands as well. This was a really fun chat. Um, I <laughs> uh, this, this chat had been scheduled a few different times uh, over the course of the new record dropping. Uh, we were supposed to do a chat while the band was on tour, but that kind of proved to be a little bit difficult. Then we were supposed to do uh, a chat Uh, initially with their guitar player and then it was like right before we got ready to do this, it ended up being with Jake. And you know, a lot of times I say that, you know, you're, you get the people or things happen in your life when they're kind of supposed to. And what's really interesting is I feel like this chat kind of is very much on brand with that sentiment in the fact that, you know, obviously having very little time to know that I was talking with Jake, you know, I, I couldn't have prepped for a conversation if I were to sit there and literally write out all the questions ahead of time and, and try to formulate a, a, an interview of sorts, um, which is why I'm really glad that I'm able to just have a conversation with people and that I don't really prepare anything. And it's one of those things where, interestingly, we were talking about Taylor Hawkins of Who Fighters and just the synchronicity of life of just us kind of mutually bonding over our love of Taylor and what the Foo Fighters mean and what, you know, bands and music means to us and and just kind of going down the path of, you know, talking about therapy and all these other things. And it it just was something that, you know, as I said in the episode, obviously with with Chris from Barry Tomorrow that I did literally five, ten minutes before, like, talking with Chris, going into this one with Jake that it was a thing where i just kind of needed these i needed these two these two conversations i needed these two episodes to happen you know it kind of really reinvigorated in me why i love doing this podcast and and this this one not saying that there was anything wrong with the one with chris because i feel like that episode was really good and a lot of what we talked about off mic off off record really kind of solidified that as well of just kind of bonding and kind of starting a new a new friendship of sorts and this one was just getting right into it right away and is one of those things where you know I, I kind of talked about and have said to some friends like I found the why again why I love doing this show and the purpose of why I love doing this and it honestly is it was this. It was this conversation that I was just like, fuck, this is it. This is why I love doing this. And I'm so fucking stoked to to bring this episode to you, to bring this conversation to you. And I'm excited as shit to, to get to hang out with Jake after the fact. You know, the next time, like, they roll through town, but I'm sure we're going to be in contact uh, with one another before that. And it's just kind of the magic of this. And sometimes, you know, we, we talk at least I do, I should say, that we talk about how when you get older, it's hard to find new friends because it's not like it was when you were a kid where you're just like, oh, you have a backpack that has Ninja Turtles on it and I love Ninja Turtles, so we should be best friends. Um, It's not as simple as that anymore and you're a lot more guarded and it's just, it's more complicated. And to do this and have real honest conversations with people who are willing to open up and be vulnerable and honest for everyone, whoever it is to listen to really means a lot to me. And it's one of those things that I don't take for granted. And honestly, like when I say it, it's what I need that this show beyond anything else, whether anyone listens to this, if no one listened to this, this has kind of become a form of therapy for me. Um, literally in the sense, you know, talking about what I went through, going to therapy, hearing what other people have gone through and and sometimes their struggles and so forth. And I think humanizing life that we all encounter, I think, and I've said it, I know countless times on this, but it just rings true with an episode like this in a conversation like this, that it just, it's so obvious sometimes how much we are so similar as people, but we just I think we're afraid to admit the things that we're going through. And it's in those things that we start finding that we're so much more similar than we're not. And it makes me at the very least feel not alone, not alone with my thoughts, not alone with how I feel, not alone with struggles that I may be going through. And at the end of the day, like it's magical. And I, and I really do appreciate it. Um, So without further ado, this is my conversation with Jake. Let's get into it, and I'll talk to you on the other side of it. So I learned uh, I'm sure you've seen the videos of the, the dude that wears like the white, uh, like the full white outfit, like the short shorts. And he's got like just a giant ass. Did have you I seen, have
1: seen, seen that? that no, I haven't seen
0: that. OK, it? I don't know, but I've, I've seen I've seen videos that he's done, but apparently he lives here in Grand Rapids where I live. Uh, so that was interesting. Um, and then it was just basically a little puff piece about how. You know he's one of the bigger stars on TikTok and blah blah blah, and he lives here and does all of his like stuff around here instead of moving out to LA where it'd probably be easier. Um, secondly, I yeah. Secondly, I heard that uh, I guess the Foo Fighters are close to announcing their drummers to replace Taylor Hawkins, so I guess they are possibly, I guess, gonna have two.
1: I hope. I hope one of them is Taylor's son.
0: Yeah. There's been, I mean, obviously after the tribute shows that went around, um, I think that was kind of the consensus a lot of people wanted. uh, I'm totally blanking on that kid's name too. Um, But obviously a lot of people wanted him to tour with the band in some capacity. And I feel like the gist was that everyone was a little bit afraid of that he just wasn't going to be not touring really, I don't want to say, but just that, that a kid that age just can't tour like they probably would.
1: I get what you're saying, yeah. But also, I've listened to Dave Girl's book, and he talks a lot about how they, a lot of them, bring family on the road and like how they have yeah. like a family room, like a green room specifically for family. So I don't know how that works. But the kid, yeah. he's, and he brought me to tears at uh, when they did that, the Wembley show. Uh, I think it was at yeah. the end. Um, yeah, that's, I don't know. He's, he's killer, though. I hope that if not now, in due time, I hope he he uh, fills his shoes. Because that would, I don't know, that would make so much sense to me.
0: I feel like if I had to guess and I was a betting man, my money would be on Josh Freeze to, to take over most of the touring capacity for them.
1: All right. I mean, I'm sure I'm sure they'll land on whoever makes the most sense to them, but it's going to be hard to find anybody that that plays like Taylor and had the heart Taylor had. But we'll see what they do, man. I think we're I'm hoping to to catch them this summer, so I'll see whoever it is this summer. I think it's uh, I'm trying to remember what festival it was it was sonic temple i believe mm-hmm. it's one of those
0: yeah sonic temple was where i actually got to see the band for the first time and you know it was kind of in a day and age where everyone kind of makes tragedies about themselves somehow like they always try to find a way to like be like oh well you know you know kind of just for like likes or or shares or clicks or whatever it was one of those that for the longest time, like I've been a Foo Fighters fan for uh, pretty much since the color in the shape. Um, <laughs> I wasn't really super big on the first record initially. Um, <clears throat> but it was a thing where I'd always wanted to see the band and, you know, they kind of existed and toured when I couldn't afford to go to like many arena shows and stuff like that. Right. And they didn't really play B markets very often either. And so it just was a lot harder to see them. Um, and so I got approved for Sonic Temple, and it was like the first festival I ever got approved for as media for for the podcast. And they were headlining. And the quick backstory is is um, there was a person that I knew uh, locally here in Michigan that kind of did like owned a rec- own, still owns a recording studio that had like people come through of, of name and record, and then also did a yearly festival around this area. And so I wanted to have him on the podcast when I started it. Just because it's like, you know, I used to book shows and the idea of trying to put on a yearly festival seemed very hard and I think would be interesting to talk about of like, we almost got these bands or this happened and the growth of the festival from being a DIY thing to something a lot bigger where you're, you're growing your brand and so forth. Um, And just kind of being a business minded person in the music industry and in different facets And I remember they came back to me and they're like, what's your reach? What's your, you know, all the, all this kind of dumb shit. And I was just like, not really, didn't really expect that to be the answer I got. So then that kind of became the fuel. Like whenever I got someone, it was like, oh, well, am I fucking big enough now? Like what's my reach now? Like, you know, just shit like that, like internally. And I remember with my media pass, I I took in the Foo Fighters set pretty much everywhere I could uh, across that whole stadium. And my wife took a photo of me uh, cause I had bought a Foo Fighters hoodie cause it started to get cold and I didn't pack any. And so from the back uh, upper level of the stadium, I had my Foo Fighters hoodie up watching the band and then she had tagged me in a Facebook post. It's like, are you big enough now? And so like <laughs> the Foo Fighters and that moment will be kind of forever just etched into, the the history of this podcast and really the podcast being something you know akin to any band really but like i started something on my own and i just the di work ethic that i had and all the work and the hours that i put into it to to be accepted on this bigger level and this opportunity that i was given and to finally see a bucket list band that i've always wanted to see just this full circle moment um and so when taylor obviously passed it was one of those things where that was the first thought i had was just you know him and the band being attached to like one of my most proud moments of right. something I've done on my own and it'll forever be tied to them.
1: No, I feel you. Um, I, I'll never forget what it was whenever I got the news and it was right before we went on stage. Um, mm. but that band also like, I've, I've never seen them live, but, uh, they have a lot to do with me even like being a drummer. Um, Whenever I discovered drums uh, at around fifteen, um I was playing along to anything that I could get my hands on um, and not even on drums. It was just on textbooks from school because I didn't have I didn't have a drum set, but I had a pair of drumsticks that my sister gave me when I was younger, and I would listen to Foo Fighters and until like uh I just had holes in all of my textbooks. Just from <laughs> drumming along and trying to like learn the parts and everything, and uh, so they they hold like a them and I mean Dave Grohl and Taylor Hawkins like that uh, that duo man is just like will never not blow my mind because um, they're both like they're both top drummers for me like they're both reasons why I play drums so uh, I we were actually in Colorado Springs. Uh, and I found out right before we went on stage. And it was so hard. Like, uh, I don't know. I just remember beating the hell out of my drums that night. And um, I don't know, going through like old pictures of him and everything. The guy was uh, was always smiling. And it made me realize like, wow, like I I take so much of this for, for granted. Like um, there's so many nights where either the music like it's easy when you're playing heavy music to just be like you know aggressive the whole time or like uh just think about hitting hitting the piss out of your drums you know and it made me stop and and think about like i need to even in the middle of the set like i need to be looking around and like smiling more and like and really taking in the moment um So yeah, he's, he's inspired me in in a lot of ways, him and Dave Grohl, his Dave Grohl's book really, uh, it really blew my mind. The Storyteller book. Yeah, uh, I read it. you read it already? Mm -hmm. Um, man. And to see like the similarity, similarities of how he came up, like in the, in the punk rock world and everything. And a lot of the venues he's naming are like places like we've played and stuff. And I just, I don't know. It inspired me so much, man.
0: It really did. It's, uh, <clears throat> without kind of getting too trippy, it's weird sometimes when I watch like these documentaries or I, I feel this connection to these players that inspire me, you know, listening to their music or are such a sonic, you know, background to what I'm doing, a soundtrack essentially to, to my life at different points. And I remember like reading Randy Bly's book uh, years ago when that first came out and I'm someone who, when I read, I read very quickly and like a lot of things, I try to take my time with it because it's, it's too easy to just fucking blow through something. Just, and yeah. yeah, like, and, and that's not how I read. I, I do have a really good retention for, for reading and, and information. But it was a thing where I have to condition myself because I know I can, I'll just be excited about something and just blow through it where it's like, yeah, I'm never going to probably read this again because I'll remember it and I have yeah. a good memory of it. So it's like, I don't just spend $40 on a book just to like fucking go through it super quick. But what was weird is with like the Randy book, I remember holding off for a little bit and and not reading it. And then I just happened to pick up, and like the first page I was reading uh, was a memory about Dimebag. And the fucked up part about it was, is it was the anniversary of Dimebag passing away the day I was reading that part. And so like, there's, there's moments like that in my life where just like odd coincidences has happened and so with the Dave Grohl book, it was very similar. Um, I was kind of pacing myself reading it. Like I would have a beer or a glass of wine or something. And I would allot myself maybe 20, 30 minutes to just read. And then I'd put it down so I could savor it for a while. And I remember talking to Chris from ghost inside. Cause it was when the book had just come out and he was like, and I think it was right around the time of Taylor, maybe passing actually it was. And he was like, Oh man, that last part of the book. And I was like, I haven't finished it yet. <laughs> and so he was like, oh so i finished the book and i think it was right around the time of like the wembley show Uh and so like again just like perfect timing of like reading that and just feeling very sad and melancholy about like the loss of this person and seeing that and just seeing you know how his music had touched so many people it kind of puts it all in perspective at times of like and I'm preaching to the choir on this, but it's like, it's, it's why you go away from home. It's why you miss anniversaries and birthdays and all these things, because you're serving a larger purpose to others that maybe need you. Right. And when you see something like that, it just kind of really kind of makes you realize like why any of us do anything that we're passionate about, because there's kind of a, you're doing it for kind of the greater good for lack of a better term. Like I don't, I feel like at times, like it's, it's kind of stupid to be like, Oh, this podcast, I know there are people who listen to it, but it's like, there are times I'll get messages from people or texts from friends even who are like, you know, I was having a real bad day today. And, you know, I was whatever. And you were talking about therapy with somebody and you articulated all these things that make me feel how I feel, but you were able to say it. And it makes me realize that I'm not alone and that I have struggles and that we all have struggles and so forth. And it's moments like that where I'm like, man, I, days that I don't maybe want to do this, or I want to put in the time editing the podcast or putting the show together or whatever, the countless emails back and forth, it makes it worth it when that hap- when those things happen.
1: Right. Cause it's always in the back of your head. Like what we do is for a greater, a greater good, but it's, it's not in the back or it's not on the forefront of my mind every single day. And so every time, like I'm reminded of that, it's always like a, uh, a good reset, you know what I mean? And, and knowing that like any pain that comes from, from anything in my life, it can be used to, to help somebody get through whatever they're going through. And I, I try to remind myself of that a lot. Um, And dude, I, I, you got me stuck on something real quick. So I just want to like point this out. Um, But the, that book, uh, storyteller, he talks a lot about, uh, his, uh, there's not one moment in that book where he says, I made it. And then it's like over. Like he, there's so many moments in that book, uh, from like small moments to huge moments where he's, where he stops and he says, "I, I made it like we made it, you know? And that's like, that was a huge takeaway for me and something I think I'll carry the rest of my life is, uh, is not look, not looking or waiting on one moment specifically to, uh, to be like the end all be all, or like the, the one moment I'm waiting for, for it to be like, okay, like I, I, I did this in my life and I'm, I'm ready to move on. It's like, a because I I never re- starting this I never really had a bucket list like I hear people like you mention bucket lists all the time and everything what's your bucket list uh, you know venue and, and things like that I had like a, a very small humble list of things I wanted to do when I was younger and it seems like the older I get it's just like a lot of those moments where it's like holy shit like I made it I did this and then it, it just keeps like the further you walk along it's but it but it doesn't come without its trials, you know what I mean? And speaking of therapy, like um that's something that dude, I started peeling back a lot of layers and stuff uh from like my past and things that have that have really held me back in life is I mean, being creative is is one way to get through a lot of that stuff. But when you realize like what's been uh I don't know, when you start peeling back that layer, it can get, it can get really heavy. You know what I mean? Uh, So, yeah, it's, it's really cool what you do, man. It's um, just having conversations, whether you're talking to somebody or, or somebody's listening to you talk to somebody, it can help them realize things about, you know, their life and how to, how to get through things, you know? So, it's really cool what you do.
0: First of all, thank you for the, the kind words. That's in therapy. <clears throat> that's something. And coincidentally, I just was just got done doing a chat with uh, with Chris from Barry Tomorrow. And it was something we kind of touched on is, you know, both of I saw a lot of me in him where mm-hmm. I was like, oh, are you an empathic person? And he's like, yes, very much so. And then even when I'd give him compliments about something, he'd be like, well, I don't really know if it's this or if it's that. And he kind of deflects. And you know, I kind of broke it down for a minute and I was like, you know, it's funny. I, I'm not laughing at you. I'm laughing at how much I hear of myself and probably what my therapist heard when I was saying these same things, when we broke down that I had imposter syndrome. And it's something I've kind of always, I, I don't want to say suffered because it kind of, I think, lessens other things that are more severe, but it's something that. You know, I think a lot of us sometimes are so aware of the perception of our words and and how when you say something that it could come across as braggy or like very grandiose of of yourself. You don't want to ego. Yeah. And so a lot of times, even when you get a compliment and you're trying to like deflect, like, don't put all the praise on me. It could go here, here, here and here. And it's all these other things. I think it's hard because then the adverse starts happening too, or it's like, well, you're a fucking dick and you're not even taking my, my praise. You're, you're, you know, it, it can go that way. And so I, I've, I've kind of tried to be more present that when someone compliments me of my first instinct is to kind of back away from it and then give it to where else it should be. But also now kind of trying to get out of my comfort zone of being like, well, thank you. And just kind That's of accepting so it.
1: Yeah, man, it's so hard for me. Uh, our guitar player, Tyler, actually, he set me down a few years ago. This is before I even started therapy. Um, but he set me down like uh, this was, like I said, years ago. But uh, he was like, man, when somebody comes up to you and, and says like, you know, you, you killed it tonight or, or you did a good job or whatever. He said, just don't instead of like saying like. All the pointing out all the flaws and in, in what you did, because that's my that is my go to like whenever somebody wants to to say good job or something like that, I immediately start thinking about uh, what I could have done better. And I start uh, pointing those things out. And he was just like, man, just like sometimes it's OK just to say thank you. So like I, I I'm trying to practice that myself. It, and it's hard because, like, even right now talking about this, like, I feel like the words coming out of my mouth, like, I sound like an egotistical jerk. You know what I mean? Um, yeah. So it's really, uh, it's, it's a uphill battle whenever you, you really just, uh, I don't know. You don't feel like it, it's one thing to aspire to be the best, um, but you never want to come across as you as like uh i don't know you're you're like god's gift to like humanity and that like you have it all figured out and that you know you can't do anything wrong like cuz i dude i'm i don't know i'm you know you know what i'm trying to say like yeah. uh i don't and i and i can't stand talking to those people either that it's like uh all they can do is is uh is talk about how sick they are. It's like, I don't know. It's, it's just not very pleasant whenever, uh, somebody can't, uh, I don't know. I, I, it's, it's much chiller just talking to somebody that's like humble and, and feels like they're, they're in the process of figuring things out too. I think that it makes, it brings that human side out and it's easier to talk to, to those people, you know what I mean?
0: Well, I think a lot of what it is, <clears throat> you know, given the fact that so it's kind of twofold. I think part of it for me is I've always loved talking. I mean, anyone that knows me and has known me a long time, I have no to- no problems talking to anyone, anywhere about anything. I I always joke I have like such a wide array of useless knowledge on mm. so many things that it allows me to talk about sports, music, uh, not so much cars, but you know, I'll listen to someone talk about cars and then I'll have questions and that will allow me to keep the conversation going. Um, but something
1: to talk about with cars next,
0: you know? Yeah. But I think it's one of those things to me that I'm just curious by nature. I, I love learning. Um, I love talking to people. I love gaining different experiences beyond my own. But interestingly, as I talk to a lot of people, even before even doing this podcast that it's, we're a lot more similar than I think a lot of people think we are with others. And I think once you kind of start breaking that down and and having honest communication with people, that's where a lot of, you'll find that. But I think a lot of people, A, in the world we live in, where communication is done, you know, on a device where you're connected to people at all times, the actual face-to-face communication doesn't exist because, you know, we cliche as it is, We've heard so many people talk about how people curate their lives on social media to be the best of whatever everything is. Okay. I think adversely, I think you can apply that to texting as well. You can perfectly curate your text and replies because you're most people, I would say, aren't super stream of conscious and just texting, whatever. You can go back, edit something because you're looking at it, edit out the words you don't like or the phrase and then kind of go back through and do it. And I think it just has created a world where we don't exist in real time mm. to communicate. But secondly, I think it's also a lot of people don't want to converse with one another. They're waiting for their turn to talk and that's not communicating. That's it's just, that's not.
1: I get that. Um, I hope that this doesn't cut out when I come in here. have to grab Our charger real fast. I'm sure you're, you're thinking, "Oh, this guy doesn't." I'm not prepared at all. I'm sorry. Oh, no worries. Um, but no, I I totally get that. It's a uh, for it to be a conversation. You got to be listening as well. You know what I mean.
0: I think it's been one of the things doing this podcast, you know, going on almost seven years and almost 400 episodes now that it's funny when I read comments, which I mean, I have so many friends that are in the industry that are like, don't ever fucking read comments, but I also see them. I also see them reading comments too. So it's, it's a thing you just, it's like picking the wound. You can't help, but do it and you know, it's bad. But there are times where like, I've read comments and people are like, Dude, you need to like shut the fuck up, like let the other person talk. And it's like if I were doing an interview, a hundred percent. But I'm not doing an interview where it's like, here's my like seven questions I have for you. This is an actual conversation between two people. There are gonna be times where I may talk more than you, but then adversely, you may talk longer than me. And that's just how it goes. That's how a conversation naturally happens.
1: Right. No, it's, uh, dude, the, the comment thing is so, uh, it's so funny. Like, I I know you're not, I don't know. I go against what people tell me as well and, and read through that stuff. And it's so, it used to really break me down, man, because I was like, man, we, we just can't win. <laughs> and uh, I think that, especially like on the... For whatever reason, Facebook's always like the worst, like on our our band page. But it's – now that I'm – us, maybe it comes with age. I don't know what it is, but I, I just think it's hilarious. You know what I mean? When people like take their time to uh, – I don't know, to try to make you <laughs> – writing music and e- even with podcasts, I'm sure. Like it's – because basically, essentially, we're doing the same thing. It's like we put our lives out there – Um, for people to either tell us, uh, one of two things, it's, it's good or it's bad, you know? And I, I just find that so, uh, so interesting sometimes when people go out of your way just to, um, to make sure, you know, that they, they hate it. Um, (laughs) but I, what did I, I, I watched something this morning, um, that actually talked about art and how, um there should be more room for artists to fail more. Mm. Um, There should be more room for people to take chances with their art, uh, to repeat their art, to basically do with their art, whatever they want to. But the way that we're set up nowadays, um, there's less room for failure because you're on such a pedestal and everybody's basically waiting for it to either they're, they're waiting for exactly what they want out of your art. So if it's not, you know, spot on with what they envision, then they look at it as bad, but art should be, you know, that person just expressing themselves through whatever means that is, you know,
0: I'm going to get the name of this book wrong. Cause it's a lengthy book title. Um, mm. Googling it real quick to make sure I can so I can say it to you. <clears throat> okay. So it's funny you kind of bring this up because I had read a book recently because I decided to get uh, a library card and just go oh, yeah. instead of spending a bunch of money on books and then blowing through them and then never reading them again. Um, I was like, well, I'll just go for free and go read stuff. And so one that I had found was called I feel like I got a burp coming Um, once upon a time in Shaolin, the untold story of Wu Tang clan's million dollar secret uh, secret album, the devaluation of music and America's new public enemy. Number one. Um, So basically the dude who wrote this was involved in the process of uh, Wu Tang making that secret record that they sold to Martin Shcarelli, the pharma dude. Mm -hmm. And I mean, this doesn't really spoil anything. So if you end up reading it, this will probably entice you to want to read it. But it was talking RZA and the guy who he ended up producing the album with um, who was like a longtime fan that then befriended the RZA and then was like, oh, we should, you know, make a throwback record. And RZA's like, I can't because, like, I'm not that guy anymore. I'm not the same person that wrote and produced, you know, Enter the 36 Chambers, like, or Mm -hmm. even forever. Like, I'm not that guy. You know, I can tell you stories and, you know, maybe you're able to kind of extrapolate that sound and make it as close to authentic as possible because you know me and you know us and you're a fan but they were having a conversation about what's the difference between you know some of these paintings that sell for millions and millions of dollars versus or authors or anybody what's the difference between them and why are they able to to sell things at such a premium but music is looked at as just a a useless commodity basically Mm -hmm and they kind of broke it down to its simplest form of you know those pieces of art you know that are in galleries and so forth there's only one of them you know one actual print of that like the painting exists as a one of one there are mm. reprints that are sold at obviously a lesser amount but the one exists because it's a one of one and so that then then that then made them start looking at music like what if we did the same thing to music what if we made one copy of an album would it be looked at in the same capacity because we're trying to change the narrative of music as art versus its contemporaries and so that's why they started going out and making this copy or this this one album and they talk about the journey along the way of of them making the album and how are they going to get it out how do you distribute an album and who owns the rights and how do you like all these things that kind of buck the traditional main like ways that mainstream music is consumed as far as digital rights, you know, how do you like all these other things. And one of the interesting things that they kind of talked about in the process as well is, you know, they, they put out some music and they sold it, I think at like a song or a song or two and they sold it at like one at like five bucks, one at like 25 or 50, and then one at a hundred. And they go within the first like couple of days of us doing that, the $5 songs leaked immediately. But interestingly, as of the time of the writing, the other songs at a a more expensive tier never got leaked. So therefore it even kind of set the precedence that when people pay a premium amount for something, they don't want to devalue it themselves and give it away for free because they spent their own money on it. Mm -hmm. And it was really interesting to think about this and think about how, Cause I remember when that was album was being shopped and basically it was being talked about. Everyone's like, like what the fuck? Like how come we're not going to get to hear it and all this kind of stuff. And it's like, I mean, we're, we're making it to kind of make a statement. We'll put out another record that's for everybody, but it's interesting to kind of think about it, how people were bitching that they didn't have access to something cause they didn't have the funds. And it's like, well, you have to realize that this costs us money too. this, That we put our lives on hold. You know, we're not making money making this for you just to turn around and, and get it for free on streaming. Like there has to be a, a a big like seismic shift in the industry. And and we're kind of trying to make a bigger point and hopefully you understand it, but it's like they received huge backlash because of what they were doing, not only from the industry, but their fans. And it's, it was really interesting to kind of think about, that as a whole like what do we do how do we add value to what we do and how do we not devalue ourselves in the process
1: well that'll make you sit back and, and think about how you're doing things man um because it's i mean it's similar to like if uh think of like a you know a famous painting like it wouldn't be a would it i mean i don't know but would it be as famous if uh if there were just like a million prints sold of this this thing you know what i mean and just distributed out for you know 10 bucks a pop would it w- <laughs> would the original be hanging in some museum somewhere you know
0: i don't know that's
1: that's a beautiful way uh i i've never heard anybody put it that way i actually what is the name of this book <laughs>
0: i think i closed the browser but i can pull it up uh or no here it is um so it's called once upon a time in shaolin the untold story of the wu-tang clan's million dollar secret album the Devaluation of music and america's new public enemy
1: that's really cool um it's yeah music is i mean I, i believe i believe it's art Um, but for some, I mean, I know that the time it takes to make a record, I know the time, and I know it's different for everybody. Some, some people sit around with, you know, just sheets of music waiting to put it out at, at any point or sell to somebody else, you know? Um, but that's definitely not the case for, for our band. And whenever we go to release a, an album, um, there's a lot of not only the time taken to to go you know record it and write it, but even the things like you have to feel in order to to write that album because it's I think our jobs as musicians uh, I believe it's to make somebody feel something, um, and in order to I mean sure you you have good storytellers out there, but I I think the best stories are the ones that are personal mm-hmm. uh, and have like pure emotion behind it and so I don't know a lot of a lot of records you hear it's like actually things that these people are feeling and then they have to find a way to artistically uh, put it out there and yeah for it just to be you know sent out for free I mean I'm thankful uh, that anything I've ever done has been heard on any kind of level and um so i don't want to sound ungrateful uh but it is it is wild whenever you reach the the age of adulthood and you're like okay like this is what i do with my life this is this is who i am this is what i I feel like i'm meant to be and there's no slowing down at this point if i want it to be my career Then I have to actually, like you know, hit the gas a little bit. I can't, you know, treat this like it's a a hobby. Um, I think that it 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 makes you look at things a little differently, as far as like uh, what your your songs are worth and what what you're worth as a as an artist. Um, And it's hard to put a price on on something like that. Um, and it's it's a very confusing thing that that uh you and i do you know um because we're we're not going in and and clocking in somewhere and uh you know getting compensated for it it's it's what people uh feel the need to what they think we're worth you know um it's a very
0: interesting it's it's so strange <clears throat> Two things, as you were just kind of saying that, I guess I've never really thought about it from this perspective. We're almost kind of in, I guess, like a stock market of sorts where it's like your stock can rise and plummet. And there's not really, it's not really determined by you. It's determined Mm -hmm. by so many extenuating outside factors. Secondly, what I think is interesting, and I, I kind of... I had a conversation probably about a year ago with uh, Dennis DeYoung, formerly of Styx, on this show. Oh, that's dope. And and I remember at one point he was kind of, you know, we were talking about his last record, like his last recorded record um, that he said he was ever going to do. And, you know, he's talking about like diminished returns, basically, like everyone just wants to hear the hits already. Like, why does anyone want to hear anything new from me? So I wanted to at least do something and blah, 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 blah. And he kind of threw it at me and was like, you know, it's it's your generation that's kind of, you know, it wants everything now and you guys, you know, will get a record and then it's forgotten about tomorrow and then it's on to the next thing. And I pushed back and I was like, physical album sales are stronger now than they ever have been. And I go, if anything, I feel like the music industry has gone back to, what it was when your generation was kids back in the fifties and sixties. And it was about a single just push one song over and over and over. And that one song would get you until the next one until the next one. And I go, and then I would challenge it to, to more of like the eighties and early nineties where artists were putting out albums and half-assing it, where it'd be front loaded with three or four big singles that could carry the record. And then you'd put out shit that you could clearly tell was just filler. And I think people were tired of spending $25 when CDs were like expensive as shit and were bummed out that they bought album after album that just wasn't up to par and were sold on the singles. So then you have iTunes coming around where it's like, it kind of, I think kept artists and the consumers honest with each other. Oh, these four songs are the only good ones. Well, I'm only buying them 99 cents a piece. I'm going to a la carte what I want. (laughs) <laughs> oh my god! And I think it becomes this thing where we're starting to see. And, and the flip side of it too, is I think from a, a music industry perspective, it's kind of fucked up that a label will come to you going, we want 42 minutes of either 42 minutes and, or this amount of songs. Mm-hmm. Like, cause how can you know that you are going to be inspired to write 42 minutes and 10 songs worth that are going to be up to the standard that you want consistently. I think at some point there becomes compromise where it's like, this is the album as I would see it, which would probably be six songs. I feel really great about these six, but we need two more because contractually that's what we, we said we would do. And I feel like it gets kind of hard where you're, and I don't want to say the artists are compromising themselves, but I think that it limits the inspiration, because now you're looking at it almost like punching into a job where you're like, all right, I got, I got to come up with two more because that's what I, I have to do. Yeah. And I think it, it kind of all goes hand in hand where I think it is art. I think the things you go through inspire what comes out of you, but I think to, to put a time frame on it of, okay, in quarter one of next year, we need you to go to the studio, put out 10 songs, record them. And we want it done and ready to go by quarter by quarter four because then we have tours that we want to announce and, it, and we want to put it out in this time frame. because such and such other artists aren't going to compete with you. So it's going to make your chart, you know, debut better. And mm-hmm. then that'll get you on better tours. And, and it's the whole process that I don't think a lot of people discuss and talk about, but it really is, I think kind of the detriment of, of to the detriment of fans and bands alike.
1: Right. It's the part of uh, it, taking what we do. And there's people that, you know, thrive off making it a business, almost like a, almost like the artist is like a, a trading card, you know what I mean? Um, yeah, it it gets, it gets wild. Uh, but I agree with you, um, wholeheartedly. Um, I mean, that's why, I mean, even going back to what you were saying about how things used to be, uh, I mean, you were, unless you were, you know, one of these artists that had you know, multiple songs charting off your, off your record. For the most part, I think growing up, it would be, you know, and I'm not saying this was every artist, but there were several artists. It was like, okay, like there's one or two songs that I know off that, off that record, mainly because it would be on the radio. And we listened to the radio when I was a kid. Um, but yeah, it's the same way now with, uh, with people dropping singles and and things like that. And it gets those songs more, more notice it. And it's a daunting task as well to, uh, to come up with all these songs. It, It really is. And, and then you got people bringing in, you know, writers from everywhere, uh, paying people to write their songs, um, just so they can, you know, tour off of it, which I'm all for collaboration. Um, but there's a lot of people out here that uh i don't know not not to to put anyone down for for what they do with their lives and and how they want to do it but uh cuz even my my favorite artist growing up you know i'm sure that there's you know a million different writers on on that stuff um uh, but a lot of i feel like a lot of artists out here aren't doing like a original material and and part of that could be because because of how hard it is to spit out you know record after record and especially like you're you're touring throughout the year and you're expected to come home after a year of touring and go straight into the studio um it's kind of bonkers it's it's kind of nuts uh but yeah that's time is a crazy thing in itself but Whenever it's uh, you don't have a second to breathe because uh, you know you're either gone or, or in the studio. Um, uh, it's hard to come up with with the words for how like uh, difficult that is sometimes. Um, I don't know. I uh, I agree with you though. I think that it would be. It would be better if people weren't on such a time frame and and had time for uh, to let the music just hit them, let the art hit them, and, and when it does, you know, it does. Uh, but it's made me look at life a little differently, and I've I've had this conversation with a lot of different uh, songwriters. Uh, you know, what helps them getting inspired to write music and things like that. But it's, and I watch a lot of documentaries. Honestly, I I come home from tour and my dad has a lot of them saved. Uh, So it's like older, older bands that, that I grew up listening to with him. Um, But Stevie Nicks, uh, I heard her say something one time and it kind of started a a whole new outlook on my life uh, where she's constantly paying attention to uh, conversation, what, what could pop up in a conversation that could start a song or uh, a billboard, a, a shirt, any, anything with, with words on it, you know? Uh, it could always start something, and just from seeing, like, a little phrase, it, it could make you feel something that... Because it's, it's not like every day um, that there's not things happening that could inspire a song. It's just a lot of times you're not uh, paying attention to it. Um, so it's good to um, I do. My notes are just full with, with complete nonsense of, uh, you know, something I'll see on a shirt or something. I'll, I'll hear somebody say out in public. Uh, dude. <laughs> I can't say that. I want to say it just, just uh, for shits and giggles did uh I was talking to my friend Morrow on the phone the other day and he was talking about how he had just left a mosque and, um, and how he was headed to his girl's place. And he said, uh, he said, I just got my prayers and I'm on my way to get my kisses. And,
0: uh,
1: (laughs) and I was like, dude, that's a country song. If I've ever heard one, just prayers and kisses. And so it's like, it's little things like that that you constantly have to be, uh, just listening for, I guess, because you you never know what could what could start something. And I I think any artist on on any kind of level um, would benefit from that. Just uh, making a quick note of something, you know.
0: It's funny you say that because uh, <clears throat> I have like random notes like that too. And there's one that I've I've never used, but it's something I've kept and. In like the most funny parallel to obviously uh, Slipknot's lineup, uh, you can't see California without Marlon Brando's eyes, like being <laughs> uttered from a bum that said that or was shouting it or whatever. And Corey was like, "That's interesting." I was walking, I think, actually, do a show or something, and I had a bum that was like, "We're cutting the city to pieces with our feet," and I was like, uh. I just kind of like looked at him and I was like, "I go, what did you say?" And he was like, "We're cutting." We're cutting the city to pieces with our feet. That's And I just remember like looking at him for a minute and I like jotted it down and I was like, man, that's such an interesting like thing. You could take it to mean a lot of different things like like we're destroying everything around us, you know, kind of like when you walk in like sand or whatever, you, you end up digging a groove. Um, so like I kind of different times when I've looked at that line, I've been like, Oh, if we just keep walking around aimlessly, we're going to dig ourselves into a rut that we can't get out of. Right. But then I've also looked at it by being, of taking it to being like, you should be more exploratory in your life because if you don't, then, you know, death is, or being complacent is kind of like how you get stagnant in life too. Mm-hmm. Cause you don't move and you don't explore and you don't grow. So at times when I look at that, that thing I jotted down that a, a homeless person said, I take completely different meaning from it. And it's and all I, interesting. That's
1: cool about the writer versus the listener as well. Because if you wrote that down and somebody just read it or you put it in a song and somebody heard it, it can mean a million different things. I think that's yeah. really
0: cool. So it's one of those things where I constantly jot down interesting phrases or interesting ideas that pop into my head. And I, and a lot of times they never will be anything at all, but they're just kind of mine and they make me think and it engages my brain in different ways. And it's interesting how words can do that, where you can read the same thing over and over and over again, almost to to where it becomes a mantra of sorts. And what becomes interesting about it is either depending on where you are in your life, you can look at that word or that phrase and it becomes takes on a whole new meaning that you've never thought about. But adversely I've had where, when I was a kid, I remember like I would latch onto a word and I would just repeat it in my head. And then it would be so it'd be so broken down to nothing Mm -hmm. that I'm like, how did this word come about? How did, how did the first person who used this use it? How was it received? How did it become this thing, which now has like so many different connotations of this one word you know, like shit, for instance, you say that word over and over. It just kind of loses its like oomph, kind of. Mm-hmm. But it's like, so like, can you imagine the first person who's like shit? And they're like, what? And they're like, oh, just this thing happened. And oh, I don't know shit. And you're like, okay. But then like stepped in shit and you're like shit. And you're like, oh, what happened? Oh, shit's this now. It's like, it's just, it's weird to like, break words. It's weird to break down words to almost this, this nothingness and to like, then build them back up of how did they exist? And how did we come to learn to use these? And to me, I find it fascinating. And so like, it's one of the things that is kind of a bum out that I don't reread books. Cause I, I don't know if I would take something different away because I would start triggering, oh yeah, this is where this starts happening. And then this is mm-hmm. where this happens that I'm not maybe allowing myself the possibility to have a new outcome of rereading the same thing and going on a different journey with something I already know.
1: Yeah. I hear that a lot from people like, um, or that rereading thing. Sometimes you, uh, you get a whole different perspective, uh, than what you saw the first time. And it's, just, it's a lot of, I get that with music sometimes too, like a song that might've meant something totally different to me when I was younger will hit different you know, older, it's like, uh, it's almost like a message hitting you when you need it, you know? Mm. Um, like you, you might not have been ready to perceive it the way you did. Um, now when you were younger, you know what I mean? Um, but the power of words are so incredible and dude, it's, a, uh, it's interesting too. Like you were talking about the, like the, basically just hearing some, or what did, what did your friend say? Uh, uh our feet are cutting the city into. Is that what you oh, said?
0: Yeah, it was, uh, the we're we're cutting. How did it go? Um, they're cutting the city city. Now nah, I just forgot entirely. <laughs> uh, oh. but yeah, we're cutting, they're cutting the city to pieces or something like that, or cutting the city beneath. Yeah. Whatever I said, I forgot it. Uh, I don't so have cool. it right in front of me.
1: I understand. I saw the coolest, the coolest one of those. Um, and I've never found one this cool. I don't think, uh, to go with a song, but my friend Matt, um, we were standing outside in Richmond, uh, outside this little club called the canal club. And Mm. there was like a little, uh, a little quote on the wall that somebody had written with a Sharpie. And it just says, none of us are getting out. And, uh, he was like, "Well, that's the that's the name of uh of my next record." And he's he's just like planning everything around that quote now. And um I don't know. I think that's so cool, man. But even just uh Dude, I don't know. To be so dumb, I really like words, you know. <laughs>
0: yeah. I mean,
1: I was never like a very good and at I don't know an English class or writing and stuff like that I, but I would always I would always be writing stuff like um on my own like I remember writing my first song uh, with lyrics um, I remember writing my first lyric when I was about nine and I have no idea why that's that's what that's what the kicker is to me is i've never been like a very uh i love reading lyrics i love i love listening to songs and stuff like that but i was never like a huge reader growing up um there were certain books that i really got uh tangled up in um one specifically is uh where the red fern grows i remember reading that as a kid and that being like one of the first books that I was like wow this is uh I can actually feel what I'm reading, you know. Um, but yeah, it's music. Uh, I think when you put the words uh, to music, it it hits differently for me. Um, and I love it when people get weird with lyrics. I love I love the interpretation part of of lyrics. Um, I recently, I don't you're probably going to think uh, either you're going to say uh, who's that guy or you've already been into this guy for a while. But uh, I recently just got into uh, father, John Missy and um, his lyrics have been just so cool to me recently. Um, the way he tells a story is just so unique. And I think that's, that's a good sign of uh, of a good writer is when you, because there's so many people that can tell the story the same way, but um, I don't know when you go like when you go through different, different holes and and tunnels to, to tell some like a story that's been told a million times uh, and you're able to tell it a certain way and, and make people think I I love that about, uh, about writing and poetry and and all that stuff. Um, That's, I'm sure there's a lot of musicians that uh or I know I've I've talked to several people that feel the same way but that's I feel like that's my goal as a as a songwriter is just to get better at storytelling because all the music I listened to growing up they were so good at it just putting you putting you in the in the moment you could you could picture where you are in the song you could you could smell you know whatever's going on um, just picture everything. so and maybe that's the thing about music is is it, uh, it allows your imagination to take over. Same with books and things like that. but it was uh, I had a crazy imagination growing up as a, as a kid and I think that uh, whenever I would listen to music, like I would I would picture things and, and um, almost go on like a little journey in my mind while listening to it. And it's still I'm still that, that same kid. Um the older i get i i think that i'm just like a uh i think that i'm still like that that kid i'm just older now if that makes sense i think that i'm I, my inner child is still like very present and um that's my favorite thing uh about talking to people a lot of times is just cuz i know like even with you like I know you have an inner child just like just right there, you know,
0: clearly um, on display around me. <laughs>
1: <laughs> uh, that's, I don't know, man. I I think that everybody's like that and I've tried to use it to get better to, at talking with people. Cause I was a very introverted growing up. Um, I love to talk, but I'm also scared to talk. If that makes sense. I'm very like, uh, I have a tug of war in myself constantly. But it helps me to imagine, like, uh, like my inner child is just talking to yours. If that makes <laughs> any sense at
0: all. No, it does. I think. <clears throat> I think it's. I think it's twofold. I think. I would say that there's. Most musicians are, I would say, most creative people that go into something in a creative space or more to the point, putting themselves out there. I would say it's because they, A, were always imaginative and and saw things differently than most. And that's probably what gravitates people toward them, whatever that audience of theirs looks like. But I think it's also maybe that we, that that was fostered. Uh, in us to allow like that we were allowed to be creative and imaginative and that it wasn't taken away from us by a lot of the outside situations that can happen to people, you know, like having, right. to, having to grow up and deal with real life very quickly uh, probably will make you have to to stop being that way because it's, it's not conducive for survival at that point, I guess for lack of a better term uh, yours or, you know, whatever, but I think it would be I think most people I mean even going back to to talking about Taylor and Dave, I mean listening to either of them in any of the interviews and reading Dave's book, you can still get this sense of wonderment in everything mm-hmm. like you know, like when you get to go do something as a kid and you're you're excited that you finally get to do this thing i've been it's been on my calendar, and how many days till I get to do blank and I think it's the that youth-like excitement about new experiences and just getting to, to, to do things that you're excited about. I think we're we're often now, we're afraid to, to say these things out loud, you know, to be excited about something or to whatever. And without hopping on, on a soapbox of sorts, it's like I think social media is kind of really fucking taking that away from us. Because if you're excited about something, what's the first thing someone's going to say? Oh, this sucks. Or why are you excited about that? That's lame. And like, so it tampers down a lot of wanting to be outwardly excited about something because you're afraid of the judgment of that. It's Cause you
1: see like everybody else's timeline and all the, all the cool shit that they're, you know, posting and uh, comparing is, is so dangerous, dude. And I find myself doing it often. And whether that's, you know, I, I take responsibility completely for it, but it's, uh, actually it's sports, dude. They put me in sports when I was a kid and that's, that's what makes me compare everything.
0: Oh, I'm super competitive because <laughs> of sports, but like, I'm weirdly competitive. Like I played sports growing up, but like even now, like I took a job, uh, recently in the last like month or so, um, taking over the general manager store of, a uh, like a hat company, uh, I don't necessarily want to say their name in case someone ever listens and they're like, we don't really think that you talking about us uh, directly and some of the things you talk about. So I I've learned to be very uh, cautious on those kind of fronts, but it's a thing where coming in, like my store is new. It's not even been around a year, so they don't really know what it can do, but like, I'm super competitive numbers wise. So like when I see certain metrics, I'm like, oh man, I'm crushing this. I'm crushing this. Like I'm setting these goals. Like nothing is better or worse to me. Like we have a thing where it shows all the metrics and like, it's, you know, a stoplight system, like red, green, yellow. Mm. So when I see all my shit in the green and I'm like, yup, killing it. (laughs) And then especially when it tells me like how much I'm killing it, like, oh, you're 130% over this thing. And I'm like, yup. But then, like, I'll just be competitive with myself and with other things, and it's it's fun. Like, I'm not like being a dick to anyone about anything. And like, but I also get really down. Like when like yesterday, like I was having a really good day, like on all the things. Like I was like, I want to be like as close to perfect as I can be today. It's like my one shift where I work an open to close double, so everything is on me, Mm -hmm. and was just killing it out the game. And then I had got hit with just a fuckload of returns. And so I was like, I hate so like I had one where like I'm doing a custom on a person's hat and they were like, all right. And I didn't even get to it because I was working on another one. So like putting something on someone's hat that didn't exist. And the person two minutes later after I had the sale, I'm like, oh man, like I'm just off, off to a good start. Like I'm already, I'm already one away from what I did all day yesterday with somebody else helping, like working with me. And so it was a thing where I was like really feeling myself and then the person came back like two minutes later and they're like, Oh, well we found the hat we really wanted next door. And so I want a refund cause we're just going to do our shit over there. And I was like, Oh, and then like two, like two seconds later, like I got a return of like a Jersey and then I was pissed. Cause I'm like, fuck, that's like, it's like $130 that I just like lost off my sales today. Yeah. Like just like shit like that where it's like, it had nothing to do with me, but I was taking it personally. And then like I was training someone yesterday and they came in, they're like, you look really defeated. And I was like, oh, I mean, I was having a really good day. And then like my shit's like, kind of like getting stunk right now. Like, just like, it sucks. And they were like, we still got time. Like we can turn it around. And I'm like, yeah, but it just still just sucks. And like, I just was like having a little pity party for a hot minute. And then they were like, well, fucking let's turn it around. And I'm like, all right. But like, it's, it's interesting how like that can be infectious too. And like the same mm-hmm. thing, like, I I came in goal-oriented and, and really wanted to kill it, and I was, and then I let a couple setbacks, like, get to me, and it wasn't until someone came in and they were, like, kind of – it's kind of the nice thing, I think, sometimes to, to parlay it into bands. I think sometimes when people get really upset about a person leaving a band, I as I get older, think about it more from the perspective of – it's fresh blood, so instead of someone who's been like, it's another tour, another – the whole cycle repeats itself, and rinse, wash, repeat – you get someone who's excited about everything because it's it's new to them and then it reinvigorates you and then you're like, it's infectious and you're like, yeah, yeah, fuck it. We get to play here. Right. We get to do this. And like everyone's excited about these things again. And I think sometimes you need that in your life where, again, kind of going back to like you were saying, the I think some people get tamped out because, or get the excitement or get these things flamed like their flames taken away by other people and other things, because all they see are the expectations or whatever that comes with those things. Not just being excited about themselves, like doing well. Mm-hmm. It's like I was doing well and I did do well. We did well. We had a good and day. Failures, and failures are
1: bound to happen on your way to, to greatness, you know? Yeah. And, but it is crazy. Like how just like one small if you want to call it a failure, one, one small fail, uh, if you're wearing it on you, um, how, how that energy can affect people around you. Um, I know like, um, I'm really hard on myself. Um, the same exact way you're talking about, uh, playing shows. And I try to go into, you know, every night thinking like, um, okay, like, I'm going to go in here and I'm going to play this song. The best of these songs we, on the last tour we were playing for 55 minutes a night. And so that's, that's a couple of songs, you know what I mean? And it's, it's really hard to, to play, um, hard and play like the, those types of fills and everything. Um, I, I started losing the sense of like, just letting go and letting things flow and, and things like that because if i would get caught up on one one little drum fill or, or something like that like there would be something that that would happen you know and i would i would feel it and i yeah, and but... it would it would bum me out and i'm i'm sitting here trying to go into like this next part of the song but my mind is still back there so it's like i can't even focus on how you know how, as a band, we're we're killing it in the moment because my mind is still focused on on the failure, and I think that it's I think that it's okay to to feel those things. Obviously, like it, it's okay to to feel um, how you need to feel, but it's just like when when you have negative thoughts like enter your head throughout the day, thoughts are are constantly coming at us. But it's it's our choice like which ones we hold on to and that why is it that the, the negative ones are so easy to, uh, to linger like to, to just you know try to take over your whole night because uh, I've, I've definitely had shows where you know I'll let one mess up one mess up out of you know 55 minutes. I'll, I'll let it control if I called that set good or bad but the the thing is is like I, I had a friend tell me this like uh like how uh, i think it was ali um i don't know you can compare any of the any of the top athletes with the same metaphor but um basically just saying like how you know they were known as like the greatest in the world but they still like they still lost like they still like you know failed it's just part of being a human um but no I, I know exactly what you mean and and i've i've definitely let days uh, like that control me but it makes me so thankful for the friends that i have in my life that that come by and, and pick my chin up and they're just like dude like just you gotta let that go man you gotta let it go um i'm i'm so grateful for the the people that i've I've crossed paths with through the years, um, and it, I don't know, cause it's, I think if it was just me, I would, I would be doomed just the way my, my (laughs) brain, my brain works. You know, I'd be like, dude, I remember the first time, uh, I ever messed up in a live setting and I was so bummed, dude. I mean, I was, I was probably 15 or 16, um, but I remember thinking like, I, I never want to feel that again. You know, I never want to, but the the thing is, is that's part of, that's part of life, especially adult life. You know, it's, it's part of failures. Just like, I don't know the people that say like failure is not an option. Like just stay at the house, dude. Cause like, <laughs> it's, it, it's going to happen. Um, it's, it's how you, it's how you carry yourself forward. Um, and, and knowing that deep down, like, how how we react to those those setbacks, like, how we're going to affect the people around us. And, I don't know, you, you talked at the beginning of this, like, you were talking about empathy, and um, that's one thing that I, I really, like, would like to carry on, like, or carry forward, like, uh, thinking about is, okay, if I care so much about people, then whenever I go through these little moments um, where I feel negatively affected because of like how I performed, um, then I really need to snap out of it because it's going to negatively affect the people around me, you know, and potentially make them have little setbacks along the way, but just because of like my attitude or, or my, my negative energy. um, It's definitely hard to be positive all the time. I'm not saying like anybody is, but it's, it's definitely cool to have like in the back of your head, like how it could uh, not only affect us, but the people around us, you know?
0: Yeah. I think for me, one of the things is that I think I'll speak for myself. I think the reason why I get so hard on myself at times is because a, I have a high expectation of what I want to do and the goals and so forth that I'll put in front of myself. But secondly, I feel like because almost anything we do is there's usually somebody that we're answering to, whether it be a boss or, you know, whatever. And you don't want to let them down and you feel like make making a mistake makes them look bad in, in conjunction. Like, you know, you, you backed me or, you know, like whatever. And I made a mistake and it makes us all look bad. And so therefore you're, you're taking accountability. Um, but the other thing too, is I've kind of been trying to learn drums, uh, for the second time in my life. Um,
1: let's go, baby.
0: It's a thing where I feel like a lot of times when I'm like, like I'm somebody like when I'm drums are one of those few instruments, like where, when I hear it, it's like, okay, I'm pretty sure it's this, like it's one of the few instruments where you can kind of hear it. If you have that, I guess that kind of brain for it, where it's like, okay, like if this part's coming, that's a snare and probably this time, or when it does like this, it's probably one of these times. Here's the kick. Here's China crash, whatever. You can kind of start picking it apart. So you can kind of figure it out from there where it's like, okay, like, Great example, like, uh, so like my hero, like it's only going to be a few things that can make that beat. Then it's mm-hmm. a matter of staying in time with it and then kind of, you know, feeling where the fills are coming, where this part's coming, whatever. So I feel like when you make a mistake in drums, it's when you're thinking too like rudimentarily. like I know when trying to practice, like watching drum lessons and it's like, okay, here's, you know, right, left. Fill and it's like you could either start like right or I should say right, left, right, you know, symbol with the other hand, and you're kind of doing those. I feel like when I'm trying to do those, I'm like, oh my god, this is like fucking math, and like I'm getting it wrong, and da 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 da. But it's when trying to just figure out a song and listening to it, and I, it's more about feel. I feel like I'm playing better because it's like, okay, yeah, this is muscle memory. It's just repetition and it's, it's doing these and it feels right. And I feel like I play better when I'm doing that. Granted, I'm sure I'm not. And it's, but again, it's just repetition. And then once you kind of get that autopilot mode where it's like, okay, here's how this song goes and it's this part. And then, okay, here comes this. And your body just kind of instinctively starts playing and going and you're like, oh, (laughs) that drums are kind of, and I guess music as a whole, but more so drums because you're, you're kind of in all of it, that it's, it's a feel. And that when you start thinking, that's when you start messing up.
1: That is, that's my problem, man, is, uh, is I'll, I'll start thinking or there, there'll be, uh, I'd love to not improv the whole way through our set. Because like, if I spent time on a drum field that I like, and you know, it's, it's part of, you know, it's a main voice in the song. Like I'll try to keep it in there, of course, but I like to to add things here or there, or even take away. Like just to add a breath where there wasn't one before. Um, but I start like it's when I it's when I start thinking. Like even even something as simple as like a, okay, I found a more efficient way of playing something. Like, uh, focusing in on, like, little, uh, little intricacies of, like, form or technique and being, like, okay, like, I'm gonna try that tonight. And because it's not, uh, I'm taking myself out of the muscle memory game, you know what I mean? And, and trying something new, you know? Um, or, or leading with the, with the left instead of the right for a certain feel, um, or uh I, I think a lot of it too. It's it's so strange. Like I'm trying to come up with uh a good a good warm-up routine uh before shows because I've done I've had nights where I where I warm up too long before the set. because um, I have like this little kick pad and like mm-hmm. a, a DW like practice stand kit. Um I've had nights where I warm up uh, too long where I'm just like, I think I'm just, I'm thinking too much at that point. Um, but I've also had, uh, nights or I I felt great some nights doing that. But then there's also been nights where I don't warm up at all and I feel completely fine. I I feel better than, than I did when I warmed up, you know? Um, I don't, dude, it comes down. The thing is, is that you can get so nerdy with it. Like even, even down to, uh, like your diet and like Mm -hmm. how long, uh, how long ago, uh, I don't know, like taking a shit right before you play or something like that. Like it, and how that can be like a bad thing. There is a cat at my door, (laughs) just (laughs) scratching glass. So hold on. (laughs) Um, so yeah, it's, uh, there's so many different things that go into it. I've, I've been trying to experiment though, like to see, see what feels the best. Um, I even, <laughs> and, and sometimes it's, uh, it's down to like, even I think trying things that I've al- I've always been afraid to try. Um, mm-hmm. like even down to like, like we played Berkeley, mm-hmm. um, on this last tour and I found myself uh trying to play in cowboy boots for the first time because I've I've practiced and, and done it a few times. But I was just like, you know, tonight's the night that I play in boots. And playing <laughs> playing double double bass and, and boots is uh I thought it was gonna be a lot harder. Surprisingly I, I got I got through it just fine.
0: I feel like the thing for me, like <clears throat> because it's like I love rock I love metal and all that stuff and the kit I have is like a Roland electronic kit um so I haven't I didn't I want spend the, so bad didn't spend the extra money to get an <laughs> extra uh kick pedal so I could do double bass um and then same with cymbals I was like gosh oh, in hindsight I was like I should have opted to get more cymbals which I can always add but it's a thing where I'm having way more fun recently jamming to like hip-hop stuff and like aren't yes. like like a try again uh or like more than a woman or like uh a lot of stuff by timbaland really it's just like it's so it's so fun to play and like i realize like it's really setting the foundation because it's just the same tempo the same beat over and over and over and over and mm-hmm. over and over again with little like courses. really the only change that's happening and so it's really kind of been an interesting thing where it's like okay here's just repetition and it's essentially snare hi-hat kick over yeah. and over and over and over and over again the nice thing is is like we on the thing like you have different kits that you can have so it's like usually i'll use like the 808 setting that they have on it oh so it's yeah like the the kick drum has like that deep like like hit to it and the snare is like really poppy and electronic sounding the like hi-hats are kind of the same thing like to artificial sounding because that's what it is
1: mm-hmm.
0: and that's it's one of those that like down. and it's really just fun kind of locking into a groove where you're just like all right this is all this is this and it's like once you kind of figure it out then it's like like now on someone like this like a try again like that like that kick drum it's like a lot of times when it kicks into that like part uh I'll, i guess i'll call it the bridge where uh i found a youtube version where there's no vocals it's just the instrumental. And so, like, when you really start picking apart some of it, like, that part was, like, and then it kicks back in, the, like, like, like man, like, I just am, like, it'd be so fucking fun to play this live, because then you could just be, like, almost like a breakdown on that, where you're just, like, like and then kicking into it, <laughs> that it's, like, I'm just beating the shit out of it, and my wife will be, like, whatever you're doing, I thought you were, like, I thought it was you were washing shoes in the dryer (laughs) because it just (laughs) sounded like tumbling whatever. Cause it's just like in my headphones, I hear the drums and the song (laughs) outwardly. All you hear is plastic, 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 plastic. (laughs) Um, So it's funny to, to just do that, but it's, uh, I've been having a lot of fun kind of learning an instrument I've always loved and just, I mean, it's noisy, so it's hard to play and it annoys people when you're trying to learn. And I'm one of those people that, you know, I always learned when you make a mistake, something you you start all over and do it again. So it's like when I make a mistake in something, I'm like, fuck, all right, here we go, back to this part. Yep. Yeah. And start it all over. And then again, it's hard not to get in your head where it's like, okay, this part I keep fucking up is coming up. But when you finally get it, you're like, ah, okay. And then you fuck up something That's else.
1: That's the worst. <laughs> That's the worst when there's something that, uh, like a part of a song, especially live where, where you, you might've messed up the night before or something and you feel it. Uh, it's the next night and you're like, oh man, this is that part. This is, this is the part that, uh, that slapped me in the face last night. You know what I mean? But, um, dude, it, it sucks that drums, like, I mean, you're, di- it's, it's different with the rolling, right? Cause you can, you can turn it down. Um, but dude, live, I don't know, like touring as a drummer, I'm very envious of like the these bands that have like jam rooms and can go in there and just play uh, whenever they want um, and I've, I've been to a few like um, um, Barry from shinedown like I've, I've got the jam on his on his little uh, kit that they have They have like a little a little room set to the side where they can go in and just jam and warm up and everything. Um, but it's definitely not like that on like a Gideon tour, and I, and so whenever uh, whenever it's time to um, to warm up, I don't know. I you would think like sound checks the best place for it, you know? Like okay, you have like this feel that I've had stuck in my head all day long that I just want to get it out. I just want to see like what it sounds like, and so like I'll sit down, you know. They'll mic the kid up and everything, and I'm just I'll start to noodle around. Uh, and meanwhile, like I have my in ears in, and I can hear everything the guitar and the bass player is playing, but nobody else can hear them because we're we're on ears. So yeah. I'm hearing everything they're playing, but as soon as the drummer starts playing, everyone's like turns around like, dude, stop, 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 <laughs> and dude, I hate it so much. It's like the one instrument that you just can't jam whenever. So I, brought my, I brought my acoustic guitar on this last run, just to try to get better at that. And I'm, I got a few pointers, uh, cause I, I mean, getting better at drums on tour, um, I've learned so much from different drummers over the years. So I was like, okay, if I want to get better at guitar, what better place? I mean, there's. There's guitar players everywhere, and so I'm I'm actually doing what you're doing with a different instrument. I'm going back and and trying to relearn something that I I was I played when I was younger, um, and I'm I'm trying to get better at guitar and everything. But there's all the techniques and everything behind guitar can get oh it so crazy. Um, but I just love it, man. That was my first love uh, when I was a, a little kid. Uh, I would put my my ear down on my dad had this, this Washburn acoustic guitar, and I would, I would sit in his lap and put my ear to the, the body of it, and I think that was, like, the, the first time I, I, it was, like, ecstasy, you know what I mean? It's, like, just hearing those chords strummed, and, like, hearing the vibrations of everything, um, and I still do that to this day, like, uh, I'll come home from a long tour and just pick up my acoustic guitar and just lay my lay my ear on the side of that thing, and uh, dude, it's just so soothing. It's it's completely opposite from drums, so it's a it's a nice little break from everything.
0: Yeah, I think that's been. <clears throat> I think one of the hardest parts for me is, again, I guess it's imposter syndrome to a degree. But, like, it's funny. So the tour you just finished, uh, Damon, that is uh, playing guitar for for the Fallen Dreams, is, like, a good friend. Uh love Damon. Uh, Lives, like, an hour away from me. So um, it's a thing where I'm surrounded by so many people who are, like, really fucking good. Mm-hmm. And they're, like, people I've known for a long time. And sometimes being in rooms with these people is, like, just daunting. Like, I don't even want to play an instrument in front of them because I'm, like you're really good at this. And I'm like mediocre at best. But what's interesting is like, they always, I've learned in like playing around other people, you know, sometimes people come over here and they'll play guitar and, or play what I have. <clears throat> and it's interesting. Cause like, they'll be playing something. And I'm like, God, I wish I could play like that. Like the way you're able to like finger pick or the way you're able to like mm-hmm. shift from these chords to these chords. Like, I wish I could play like that. And then I'm just like, kind of caveman, like just Fucking right hand dominant, and then they're like, Man, I wish I had a right hand like that. And I'm like, Really? Right. I don't think I don't think this is anything. Like anyone can fucking do this. Like you have more finesse and, and skill. And it just comes down to, and a lot of times I feel like you can apply it to anything. Like everyone wants what they don't have, what they're not good at. But and someone also always inevitably so wants.
1: On yeah.
0: But I mean, it's like, you know, like I see people like You know, oh, I wish I had long hair. I wish I had short hair. I wish I had gray hair. I wish I had blonde hair. Wish like everyone always wants what they don't have, and so it's funny. Like when I do that, things like that, I'm like, oh, you know. Sometimes it's like I don't have any of these grandiose ideas that I'm going to be in a band and I'm going to like ever do anything where I play live. Like I did that for a little bit and it was fun, but I'm just. Again, I think it was kind of the circumstances of like the people I played with I didn't like didn't take it as seriously as I wanted. They were at different points in their lives like I basically they were at the end of their college career I was actually playing. Uh, I was like in a real like job <laughs> uh-huh. and I remember like having to postpone my job for a city at the time to go on like a week and a half tour and it was garbage <laughs> the whole thing. And like, it was just, it was an experience and I have like enjoyed it and I have like fun memories. Like I was talking to a friend that was uh, here on tour the other day when we were at dinner and we just kind of shared like random, like shitty stories. But it's funny because even going back to when I was booking shows, uh, a friend of mine now is the drummer in train. And we were talking about the shit tour I booked for them when they came from New York. And he was like, I was like dude i felt so bad for you guys because i thought you were like used to like touring or playing shows at a certain level and we're just kind of eating shit on this whole like week run and he was like dude he goes i look back on that tour so finally because like shortly after that like i basically had been a studio drummer so i never really toured and wow. he goes, now I'm touring with like bands like Grace Potter and I'm touring with Train and like we're playing, you know, sheds and tour buses and all that. he goes, so when talking to some of these other guys and talking and sharing experiences about like, oh man, remember when we like had to like sleep in a fucking Walmart on a day off because the show got canceled. He was like, dude, that-
1: that's part of the good storytelling, man.
0: And that's like, what he uh, said. He goes, Like, you're looking at it like you felt bad for us, like you did bad by or did wrong by us. And he goes, Like, now that I'm where I am, I get to appreciate where I am because of those things, like getting to play your basement at the end of the tour. Like that's still the only house show I've ever done. But it's an dude, experience I where I get house to house
1: shows. Holy shit, I miss house shows. Dude, we, so, we, caved, we caved a kid's floor in one time. And I'm pretty, I, I don't think his parents were home. Um, <laughs> that was, dude, but house shows used to be, dude, there were people jumping off, like, this this dining room table, like, uh, like basically to, like, crowd surf over the, the people, like, in this room. Uh, dude, I, I miss shows like that. But, dude, it's, I don't know. Uh, we, we talk about the eating shit stories all the time, man, like. I feel like every tour we I'm sure if you just sat with us for, for, a, you know, one, just one tour, you would hear like a million stories be repeated. Um, <laughs> one we, we constantly look back to is um, this was probably 2000. I would say 11 or 12 somewhere. No, it wouldn't have been, it would have been 11. So uh, we, we were two bands and one band, two bands, oh. one 15 passenger van. So we had to have places to stay cause we couldn't sleep in the van, right. but we couldn't afford hotels every night. I don't think we could afford hotels at all at that point. And so we hit up, a. one of us got on Facebook and just posted from the band, like, Hey, if you live in this area and you can house two bands, please let us know. We would greatly appreciate it. So this, this kid hits us up and uh, and he's like, I got a place. This, and this is somewhere in North California. Um, he's like, I got a place for you guys to stay. Uh, here's my address. And so we, we show up and we get out of the van and we're like, oh, this house is really nice. Like this, this is cool, you know? And he takes us Like he's leading us and leads us right past the house. And we're like, well, where the hell are we staying? He takes us to this garage and opens the door. Dirt floors, dude, not even (laughs) dirt floors. There's a, a bloodstained handprint on the door inside the garage, like leading to this other room, just straight out of a horror movie, dude. Uh, not even a door to this garage. It was a, uh, they had a mattress. So that's, that was the thing we, uh, looking back to it was so uh, ironic because it was, um, it was okay. So we're sleeping on the dirt and there's like, there's no mattress, but there was a mattress. It was just being used as a door uh, to basically keep the, the wind out of this place. Um, But dude, there's so many times like that. Like I'm, I don't know. I look back to it, man, and I'm just like, "How in the hell are we are we still here?" I I remember eating ramen noodles, like dry ramen noodles, going down the road, like just crunching them up and uh, pouring the seasoning in there and shaking it up and eating them like chips. <laughs> um, dude, we just did it because we we didn't want to live any other kind of life. And oh man, we used to have van wars where we would. Uh, we would like put ravioli and piss in like a cup and throw it at the other band going down the road um and those got out of hand a few times, but i dude, I look back to all of those i I remember the first time I made just five dollars um I remember the band saying, "You know, like this tour we can afford to give everybody five dollars a day and I mean I just remember being mind blown like oh my god like we're we're doing it like <laughs> this is progression you know <laughs> and um and I mean we would go home and work as hard as we could and and basically save up all the money that we made while we were home to either put in the gas tank on tour or, or eat while we were gone um and I'm thankful for the I basically worked at this heavy-duty truck store um for a long time called long lewis sterling western star heavy-duty trucks that's what it was called dude but uh bobby jewel was my boss's name and what a name yeah he was a very nice guy um i remember being terrified that you know i was gonna lose my job because i kept touring and you know i would come and i would apologize to him for uh for leaving so much. And he said, nobody can tell you, uh, when you're done being a musician, uh, other than yourself. Uh, he had a son that was a musician. And so he had like a soft spot in his heart for it. And he, he said, you need to follow this dream as, as long as you possibly can and, and try to see it out. Or you'll always ask a what if. And, um, dude, I, he ended up passing away a, a few years ago and i don't it's i'm so grateful for uh for the time i spent with him um and just like how he he blessed me in that way like being able to come home and and work a job um and if you go back to like the early gideon records like you can see where i would put bobby jewel in in my thanks (laughs) because i would come back to work and be like look i put you in the album
0: (laughs) (laughs) I uh, gotta start wrapping this up. I feel like I could talk to you forever. Um, That's how I feel, about... cool, man. <laughs> yeah, I uh, I sent you a DM uh, of the show, the one of the last shows I had at my house, um, just to kind of show like like my house getting destroyed in real time. Oh <laughs> shit! Um, but it was uh, way back in the day when Expire uh, were doing like their second to last tour, and they went back and did house shows, and so I we had like a hundred and hundred and I think was it hundred and forty five paid people plus the bands plus some random people that I had come to our house Uh and just shit got destroyed. It was a fucking blast. First time yeah, I've ever you had expired
1: expire at your house, brother. <laughs> I mean, at this point I've had That's like inviting a tornado.
0: Yeah, it was a good time. I haven't done a house show in a while. I always joke. Uh, Cause I also house bands too, when they're on tour. Uh And a lot of the times they'll see the basement. They're like, Oh fuck man, we should cancel the show and bring it here. <laughs> 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 um But it's a, uh, The thing where like you know i've talked about over the years uh, on the show of just like finding falling in love uh with music in different capacities um you know whether it's falling in love with music again recently uh because i felt like this made it a job so i had to listen to records where i was like what am i gonna talk about um and then i kind of got away from that and just started having conversations with people and i think that that's way more rewarding uh especially if you're a fan of a band you get to know more about you know your favorite band um but kind of in closing, uh, I wanted to a, say thank you for the time uh, and just kind of being vulnerable uh, throughout the chat and revealing a I lot about a yourself fun. and things yeah. you're going going through. But also, um, you know, when I got here, you know, got the email uh, with the album in it probably about a month ago, um, it was one of those things like it's hard not to go online and just be like oh my god this record's so fucking good because i know i also don't want to invite people to try to start hacking my email (laughs) um you do like this thing thing? yeah i i remember saying actually the band retweeted it i was like this new gideon record is fucking tough uh like i was watching i remember
1: seeing that and we were all like oh no it leaked because we we didn't know like uh I think that was I think that was you. I'm, yeah, it could have been me. somebody else, but we were we were we were kind of scared for a minute. Not that it even matters, but
0: no, but that was me, and I was like, "This record is so fucking good." Uh, because I think, like you know, in this day and age, we have too many too, too too often people build up something, and and then it becomes this thing where it's like there's no way can live up to the hype. And I know from the last record to this one, I was excited to see where the the band's growth was going to go, and you know, obviously seeing you guys, I think it was, I forget who you were touring with. You were uh, playing Elevation uh, here in Grand Rapids. Um, and I think you, I feel like you were either saying you were starting to write something or here's a new song. But like the album wasn't announced or anything. So I think you maybe were was just kind of like. Ma- yeah. Yep. Yeah.
1: yeah. That was. Uh, uh, that was, I'm trying to remember how is Elevation. I, that's the downstairs. Uh, it's at almost the, like a Chicago
0: at, style venue. Yeah. Yep.
1: Yeah. Okay. That's uh that was with Wage War and Washington right. Sleep. That's right. Um But yeah, but I it think was you, fun playing more power, more pain on that tour because we just got to see like, you know, who who kind of you know liked it and how it was gonna go live. It's it's interesting to see how a song is uh goes over live before you release the out. recording mm-hmm. so you can see how people uh react to the energy of the song. Yep. And uh, I wish we could do that with with every single one of them, honestly.
0: But it was a thing where I remember being like, "Shit, all right, like if this is where you're going." But I was like, "Maybe this isn't how the whole record is gonna sound. I don't know." So like when I got it, and I just sat with it, like I was walking my dog. I was like, I woke up, got the email, and I was like, "All right, well, fuck it, I'm gonna go walk my dog for like 25 minutes or so." And I put it on. And I was just like, "Fuck!" And then like the next song I'm coming, I'm like, "Jesus." And then I was just like, this thing is like a fucking ass beater from start to finish. I was like, I don't know if people are going to be ready for this. So then that's when I put out that tweet. I was like, because I put it from my personal account. So then that way people are like, oh, whatever. And I was just like, New Gideon is fucking tough. And I put that like, like emoji. (laughs) (laughs) And uh, it was a thing where, you know, I, I love, you know, saying to people uh, in in real time when I have them on, like, you know, what the album like that is good. And I'm really I love it and it's a really good record and I'm as stupid as it is because my opinion doesn't mean shit, but it's like I'm That's proud scary. of you guys. because I can tell that you guys put a lot into this and I feel very like when it, it's the only word that kept coming to me when I kept listening so I was like, man, I'm really proud of these guys. Like I feel like they not saying that you didn't you haven't put out a record that you were like put your all into, but it's like there's just there's an obvious growth from this one to the last one where I'm just like this like proud is the only word that keeps coming to my mind. So it's like, I'm proud of you guys for, for what you were able to accomplish and put on record. And, uh, you know, from talking to Damon and Chad and the rest of the guys and, uh, for the fallen dreams, it's like, and some of the friends that I know across the country that saw this tour, it's like tour was a huge fucking success from every, from everything that I've heard. And it's one of those. Yeah. So to me, it's one of those where it's like, I feel like this is kind of like your moment for you guys to really kind of break out and, and achieve that next step that I think a lot of people have seen that is going to happen for you. Um, So as a, as a fan and now as someone that's kind of gotten to talk to you on a more personal level, very excited to see what this record does for you and that everyone gets to hear it and kind of see the successes that I think are on the horizon for you guys. Uh,
1: I, I appreciate you saying that. Um, And I obviously, I obviously hope, uh, you know, things continue to, Progress, you know what I mean, but I do have to stop and just say that i'm I'm so grateful uh, for my journey this far and and for the people in my band because uh, we're you know we started out as friends and now I've spent more time with them than my actual family and I consider those people my family um, just an extension you know and uh, I don't know i'm I'm just so grateful for everything that's and all, all the people I've talking to you, talking to the guys you mentioned for the Fallen dreams, dude, that band started so much for me uh, when I, when I was coming up in this, um, I dude, if it all, if it all ended tomorrow, you know what I mean? Like um, hopefully it doesn't, but, but if it did, like it's been one hell of a ride and I just like, I don't want it to ever end. I, I really don't. So I'd, I just, you know, thank you for saying that about the record. Um, we did, we did work our asses off for it, but it was also about, uh, feeling a lot, uh, that was going on. Cause we sat on that record for, for two years, um, just waiting for, you know, the right time to put it out. And a lot of, a lot of things that happened, uh, that we wrote about on that record, um, it it was, it's, it's real things that, that I was going through and real things that my, you know, my brothers are going through. And, um, I don't know. I, I lost a really good friend. Um, the day I got to the studio, um, I found out my friend Sam, uh, passed away and I had hung out with him a week before I was at, I mean, to the day, um, when we got to the studio, so the song "I Will Carry You" is is uh, in memory of my friend uh, Sam Hutchins, and I still can't listen to that song, man, like uh, without bawling my eyes out, um, cause I miss him, dude. But um, I tried to write it in like keeping not just me and my, like our relationship, but uh, but friends that I have that were you know even closer than I was with, with Sam. Like he, he had so many, so many friends. He, he was just a, that kind of person that was just like a light as soon as he walks in a room. Um, so this song or this album had uh, a lot of different types of hurt, whether it, whether it was, you know, feeling angry or feeling like motivated through anger or just feeling like uh, depressed or, or feeling, you know, lonesome there there's just so many different things that were felt uh through the making of this album and uh i just hope that uh taking all of that in and putting it through songs i hope that somebody is able to uh listen to it and it helps them through whatever they're going through um because i'm you know Pain and and constant work, or, or something that every human goes through, um, and I just hope that what I felt in my life um, can help somebody else along the along their way. So, but thank you so much for for even listening to it, man. Honestly, I'm and there's so much music out there these days that you you honestly could have you know listened to you know twenty seconds of each song and been like, all right, I'm I'm good, but. Thank you, thank you for listening to it and taking the time, um, and even taking the time to talk to me today. Like it's it's been great uh, getting to talk to you, man. Yeah, really.
0: Man. Yeah. Um. Lastly, I like the
1: Georgia cat shirt, by the way.
0: <laughs> thank you. <laughs> um, where can everyone find you or the band or anything you'd like to plug online?
1: Um, on Instagram, uh, it's just at Jake Dot Smelly. Uh, the band is at Gideon AL. Um, that's where I'm at most of these days. Um, I'm also uh, my TikTok is Leon Moon, <laughs> um, and we just started uh, a Gideon TikTok just uh, because we kept seeing like people, like I would get tagged in Gideon stuff on there. So I was just like, you know, let's just make one. So, uh, I think, I think on there it's Gideon, uh, underscore.
0: Got a phone call. I bet.
1: There. I shouldn't yep. have done that. You there. I'm so sorry.
0: No, I'm there. there you go. I think it's,
1: uh, I think it's Gideon underscore AL. I'm so sorry <laughs> for doing that.
0: No worries. Um, I have had a great time chatting with you. Uh, I say let's continue. I don't I'm usually not the type of person to say shit like this, but uh, saying, let's continue uh, chatting off of this thing. And hopefully next time you guys are around in the area, uh, link up and grab a beer, a coffee, something and, and I would love to see you in I, person.
1: I love Grand Rapids, dude. And I got to shout out Dell, the security guard, the security Dale, guard. He's a day. good
0: friend. Yep.
1: I love he's that the homie.
0: He's so, the homie. Yeah. I'll let him know. I'll send him a message as soon as we're done with this, uh, that you got a shout out at the end of our chat. Oh yeah. Awesome. Enjoy the rest Great. of your day, man.
1: Great talking to you. Bye buddy.
0: So that was my conversation with Jake again, drummer for Gideon. I want to thank him for taking the time first and foremost. And, uh, as always just, you know, being, being present, uh, during this conversation and getting, getting real. Um, It's one of those things sometimes when and if you watch the video versions of this or you are watching the video version of this, um, it's interesting at times to see our mannerisms when talking and kind of getting real about something because I'll kind of get a lot more fidgety because I I, I feel a bit uncomfortable um, kind of revealing maybe some of the things more personally about myself uh, to a stranger that I've literally have never met until right now in the time of talking to them, but then I kind of see some of their mannerisms. I think doing the same, and it's in that where I feel a little bit of comfort um, that it's like this is awkward, this is maybe hard, but it's also the thing that's exciting about it um, because you're you're sharing real things. Um, the band put out their latest record, "More Power, More Pain." And, you know, like I had sold Jake right at the very end, you know, when I saw them play like in last May, almost shit a year ago at this point, doesn't seem like it, it um, was a thing where when they played the song, I was like, fuck, this song's heavy. And when I got the email with the, the, you know, the album in it, I was just like, fuck, this album is so heavy. Like, it is unrelenting. It is, you know, the phrase I always use for records like this, like, it's an ass beater. Secondly, it's all pit, no shit. Like, it's just a fucking intense record. Um, and like I told Jake, like at times listening to it, I the word that just kept coming to me was proud. I was proud of these guys for putting out a record that you can tell they put a lot of themselves into. Um, I mean, I didn't even know that basically the um, I Will Carry You was about... You know, or I didn't obviously know that I Will Carry You held such weight that it did uh, for Jake personally. But, I mean, a lot of these things, like when people talk about metal or hardcore or things like that, and sometimes they just say it all sounds the same, I, I don't know. I, I feel like maybe maybe they just haven't experienced... I, I hate to say real pain, but maybe they just haven't experienced that thing that makes them need this outlet of aggressive music and that it helps you deal with these things. Um, I mean, as I'm literally sitting here right now, I got a text from my mom saying that my grandfather is in the hospital. Uh, I don't know why. I don't know what happened. Um, I know his health has been declining the last few years as it does when you start getting into your eighties and so forth. But it was a thing where like When I tried calling my mom after getting the text, I'm like, what happened? Like, what's going on? And I I can't get a hold of her, and I just feel frustrated, and I feel upset and angry and sad, and, you know, all these emotions come flooding back to me. And then I start thinking of similar text messages, phone calls that I've gotten from people basically, you know, saying that your friend's gone or that you've lost somebody. And... Maybe, you know, like I said in this chat, you know, talking to my therapist and they said that, you know, you're very, I don't want to say comfortable with death, but you just understand that death is a part of life and that nothing is forever. And uh, I was, I was reminded yesterday, um, just sometimes how being and going a step beyond can really impact somebody and you don't even realize it at the time but uh as i've said i started a new job and one of the things the, the things of my job is to uh customize hats uh for people you can only put graphic or you know text messages or not text messages but texts on these hats and it's one of those things where a lot of times, you know, I put a lot of like, you know, yesterday I was thinking about a hat where I made it for somebody, and you know, it said R R I P, you know, their friend, and you know, they're walking around with a memorial to a, a friend that no longer exists. And a quick story that I'm just kind of thinking about now that's kind of hitting me really hard is um. So I had a gentleman come in, and he wanted a hat for his his uh. I believe it was for his father or father-in-law. I, I can't remember the exact uh, designation of if which part of his family it was a part of. Um, but long and short of it, he I was like, hey, do you know, do you want to customize it, make it personal for, you know, whomever? And he was like, Yeah, let's uh let's throw like the last name on, you know, it's for so-and-so, they have cancer, they're not gonna make it. And they, you know, don't really like this. And so I ended up having my coworker do it, and it just didn't turn out great, and the guy didn't seem very stoked on it. I was told about it after the fact, so I went and grabbed another hat. I did it myself. Tried, I thought of a few different ways we could do it where maybe it wouldn't come out as bad uh, and would be better as a whole. And so I called him and basically was like, look, I've heard what happened, and I wanted to make this right. Uh, obviously you paid extra money for this uh, to go on your hat, and if it's not up to the satisfactory level of what you wanted or the quality that we expect when we give you something, I want to make this right, so I'm going to go ahead and make another hat for you. I already have it done. If you can come back or whenever you're able to come back, um, I'll just do a straight exchange, no problems. Um, So that gentleman came in yesterday while I was working with another gentleman working on some hats for him, and I handed him the hat and he looks at me and he just goes, you know, thank you so much for this and, and making this right. And then looked at the other customer and was like, you know, this guy went above and beyond. He's a, he's a really good manager. Um, he didn't have to do any of this stuff. He did it on his own volition. I didn't ask him to. And when I handed, showed him the hat that I had made, he said, that's perfect. And then he shook my hand. And he goes, so, you know, the guy I told you that I was getting this hat for. And I go, yeah. And he goes, well, he died this morning. And he tells me that the hat that I'm handing him is going into his coffin with him. And it's one of those things where whenever I feel like sometimes this shit doesn't fucking matter, like I'm dealing with hats and I'm dealing with the public, and however stupid it may seem or that my job doesn't fucking matter, or even at times that this podcast doesn't matter, it's little things like that that really make me realize how profound the littlest thing can be to somebody else. Ugh. And it's just one of those things where I hope I hope people understand why these connections and these conversations and these things matter. Because you just never know. I'm sad right now that potentially more more death and so forth is is on the horizon potentially in my life. And I hate that I'm gonna probably dwell on some of these negative thoughts, but it is what it is. And so to start wrapping up this episode, um, if you would like to keep up with Gideon, you can find them at Gideon Al on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. Or you can keep up with everything going on with Gideon at their Linktree. Uh, it's pretty much in the bio of all of their social media, but it's just Linktree at Gideon AL. If you'd like to keep up with Jake, you can find him on Instagram at jake.smelly, S-M-E-L-L-E-Y. And if you'd like to keep up with the podcast, you can find us simple enough, Brew Speak Pod on all your major social media networks. Uh, we are on almost all major podcasting platforms. If there is a way to rate, review, or subscribe, please do such. Uh, obviously, you know why that matters. And for the Brutally Speaking Podcast, I am John, and I'll talk to you all next time. Uh, Enjoy the rest of your week.